The following content is rated explicit for language in adult situations. So listen with headphones. Or don't. We don't judge. Have you ever wished that your world had more magic? Or that your favorite character had survived? How about a full-length spinoff of your favorite childhood series? Then do we have a podcast for you. Hello, Fire Whiskers. I'm Claire. And I'm Kat. And this is Fire Whiskey and Honey, the podcast about your favorite novel-length Potter fan fiction. The Debt of Time. Each episode, we read a chapter of this story. And try to stay on topic. Which is easier said than done. Without further ado, here's this week's chapter of The Debt of Time. So you know how they have like signs on the side of the road like speed limit and stuff like that so you know how it's like a pole and like obviously the sign right uh-huh. so we're coming home from the wedding yesterday and we get to tavernier and this traffic was a little slow right so we're in front you remember that big huge building that's like that nasty lime green and they sell chocolate and ice cream and like fudge and stuff yeah yeah so this car goes to turn into their driveway misses the driveway goes onto the grass and hits one of those signs and it just falls over (laughs) boom kenny was like that guy was like f this sign like and then the guy was just like oh crap so he just backs up and then goes onto the gravel and goes into the parking spot and i'm just like the front of your car has to be like (laughs) done now i feel like those signs are designed to go down fairly easily to prevent you know damage to both cars and drivers (laughs) this is why people say shit about people who are from florida this is why florida man is a thing yeah i was just like okay cool in miami we saw a four-car accident so that was fun could we didn't be see it. We just saw the aftermath. I was just like, okay. There was, I think it was a storm, but whatever the highway is that goes from like Tennessee to Missouri to Illinois, I think they said there was a 75 car pile up and there were 10 or 11 semis involved. I don't remember if it was because of fog or ice, but absolute disaster. Uh, the snow, no, not the first snowmageddon, but when I lived in D.C. and Jimmy and I, ooh, okay, story time. Um, also, hey, we never said hi. So hi, because uh, <laughs> Hannah Beth is going, you never said hi. You never said hi. Uh, also, Hannah Beth is still not with us because uh, she has decided that her job is more important than this podcast. So like rude. <laughs> you mean her job that pays her more so she can pay bills and buy her baby clothes and diapers and stuff? Oh, God yeah, yeah, forbid. Yeah, 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 that thing, that thing. Um, but yeah, you know, it's so important, I guess. But anyway, uh, story time. Uh, so it was the winter of 2016, December, right before Christmas. And in Washington, D.C. Dickens character. I don't know. In in Washington, D.C., there was a bar crawl called, it was like Santa something. It was like Santa Crawl or Santa whatever. Um, Santa Con. That's what it was. And so we all dressed up in ridiculous outfits. I had on a Christmas sweater that said, Merry Christmas, you filthy animal. 
my husband was wearing jingle, jingle bell suspenders and a polar bear uh, sweater. <laughs> um, uh, we had somebody dressed up like Buddy the Elf. It was great. But anyway, um, so we're getting ready to go out for this uh, pub crawl. And um, I was at my house getting ready. And Jimmy calls me, uh, being the good boyfriend that he was at the time. And he goes, hey, uh, there was a nice storm. Um, do you need me to salt your walkway? And I was like, oh, yeah, that's so I do. sweet. Shut <laughs> I don't even know what that means. But, but anyway, um, so I, being the good Florida child that I am, walk out onto our covered front porch and go, no, no ice here. Didn't think anything of it. So I put on my super cute skinny jeans and my sweater and I got my hair all done and my makeup and like bright red lipstick. It was a great look. Um, and Jimmy's like, all right, I'm here. Be careful. I'm pretty sure it's icy because your street was icy. And I was like, okay. So I step onto my porch. Still not icy because it's fucking covered. Step onto the front step and slide down the rest of the steps and like grab onto the banister. And I get to the bottom. And I'm like, Whew, okay, this is fine. This is good. I didn't fall. I did not bust my ass like I thought I was going to. We're good. Take a step onto the sidewalk and immediately slip and bust my ass. And Jimmy is sitting there in his truck laughing his ass off. And I, again, being somebody who grew up in Key West where theft crime is like, well, at the time when we were growing up was almost nothing. I lived in a very safe neighborhood. Um, but I like go into my car cause I think I left my wallet in my car because I was that, you know, I, I didn't, I was not used to living in a big city. But anyway, so I'm bent over the front seat, digging through my center console, looking for my wallet. And Jimmy comes up behind me because he is now salting the rock walkway that he knew was going to need to be salted. And he didn't believe me and he shouldn't have believed me because it was very icy. Um, and he's like, did you sit in on like a hard boiled egg or something? And I'm like, what? He's like, there's something on your jeans. And I look down and he looks down and he's got his window scraper, the ice scraper um, for his car. And he flicks it and he goes, oh, that's a little uh, discus of poop, a little poop frisbee. <laughs> and I'm like, huh, 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 <laughs> because I have apparently, because of the ice storm, my neighbor did not feel it necessary to pick up after their dog. So they left their dog's poop in the middle of the sidewalk, which I then landed on. Um, so then of course I have to go inside and change. Oh, and by the way, the skinny jeans I was wearing were the only clean ones that I wore, that I had that fit. I had recently lost some weight. And so the only pants I had were, uh, a size or two bigger than they needed to be. So Jimmy from then on called them my hammer pants because that's kind of what they looked like on me. Um, and it was, it was terrible. It was embarrassing. And from then on, Jimmy called me Turd Ferguson. <laughs> And he still does. He's like, how are you doing there, Turd Ferguson? And it sounds mean, but it's actually quite funny. And I don't mind. <laughs> Mainly because at this point, it has been long enough that I can see the humor in the fact that I landed in a pile of dog shit on the way to a Santa-themed pub crawl. <laughs> but yes, so that is my story of why ice storms are bullshit. And I hate them. Yeah, well, I slipped on... Uh... 
There was a can of that Arizona iced tea outside the band room once, and somebody had spilled it. You remember how that floor was like a light color, and that tea is a light color? Mm-hmm. So I didn't know it was there, and I slipped and bust my butt in front of all the choir kids, and they just like kept on walking. Some of which, who I was friends with when we were younger and very good friends with, and she still did nothing, just walked right past me. And I was like... I used to spend more time at your house than I did my own, and you're not going to help me. You're just going to laugh at me and walk away. Okay. Where the fuck is my phone? Ooh, Milano. That is not your phone. Your phone has the dead of time. The Milanos do not. So, like, I know I'm going to Key West in a week and a half, and I really want to have a cute swimsuit-ready body, but I also really like cookies. Where do you think you're going to be swimming? The beach. Oh, okay. My little island baby has never been to an island. He has never seen the ocean. He has never been on a beach. Oh my god, we have to videotape him on sand for the first time. That is going to be hilarious. Yes. You should have seen oh him the first god. time on grass. He was like, what is this? Like, he did not. He just cried. He was like, I don't like it. I, I, don't, I don't like it. I did well, that just if for you him, end but... up having to stay at my house, we could put him in the pool. Oh, yes, because um, everybody send good vibes. My father has tested positive for COVID. He feels fine. He has nothing but a scratchy throat. He doesn't even have a fever. But he would test positive for COVID the week and a half before I go to fucking Key West. So I, yeah, yesterday, I, I was literally talking to Hannah Beth when I found out. And I was like, son of a bitch. And she was like, are you okay? I'm like, fuck, 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 fuck. fuck. My fucking dad is fucking coming. <laughs> and she was like, oh no. <laughs> and so I did what any good friend would do. And I immediately called Kat and went, hey, Kat, <laughs> can I stay in your guest room? <laughs> Which is nice because it's like far enough away from the house that if my child cries, he's not going to wake you guys up. Um, yeah, but there's people that live above there, but you can barely hear them. Like, you can hear them walking around and you can hear their TV, but it's not loud enough to where it would wake anybody up. Yeah, no. I'm, I'm like, not I, I could sleep through it. Like, the only person who it gets bothered by is when the Dark Wizard is over and he's like, man, that's a good song. And I'm like, how can you tell what song that is? Like, I can hear that they're playing music, but I can't hear the words or anything. Just like, Jesus. Dog ears. Here's hoping that my child sleeps and does not scream and annoy them. (laughs) But I have to deliver their mail every day, so like I'm already annoyed because our mailman can't read apparently or doesn't understand the concept of like whatever. Fun, fun. Um, But anyway, uh, what had happened happened was (laughs) (laughs) okay, so. Everybody was at Grimmauld Place, and we started Everybody out Everybody was kung fu fighting! Woo! Okay. Everybody was spell casting, but that's... <laughs> yeah. So, everybody's at Grimmauld Place, so we started out with people being very excited that Mooney and Tox were there, because they just showed up. So then, they started talking about the Weasley's trip to Egypt, and how rats can't live that long, aka Peter, because it's Ron's rat that was... Percy's rat and all this stuff. Mm. So that was just like side little chit chat. Yeah. And then Ar- Arthur Arthur was basically apologizing. He's like, I should have yeah. known. He shouldn't have been living for twelve fucking years. <laughs> yes. Well, Arthur's in his own little world. Like 
he he would be fascinated about a toaster. Like it, it's fine. He's got seven kids. He's not. He, he, it's okay that his brain doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, but it's whatever. So, anyways, Sirius called Hermione kitten, and I'm guessing it's out of habit because she was like kitten. I'm guessing in his mind he was like crap. <laughs> My bad. But that was a nice save, saying that she has claws. So that was a good save on his part. But I was just like, ha ha. And obviously, Creature was being a butt face, as always, because he is like a butt nuggets. Yes. And then I think it was, who was it? Mama's Black Portrait was being a butt face, like yelling at everybody and like being mean to Hermione because she's a mudblood. I did that in air quotes. And all of that because she is a butt face as well. And then Hermione even stood up for Creature after he called her one too and was very mean to her because she believes in elf rights and she has a bigger heart than most of us do. Yeah. But that's fine. And then Tonks wanted to be friends with Hermione and talk serious up, which I found hilarious. Like, yeah, I'll be nice to her. It's fine. Like, I'll just like morph my face and then I'll talk you up. And then she said something about, oh, wait, Remus, she's your ex too. Like... This chick kills me. I love her. Like, I, yeah. I'd forgotten. It, it's amazing. I think she's probably one of my favorite characters in this series. I mean, obviously, yeah, like Maya. if I could hang out with her and Luna at the same time, that, that would be amazing. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Ginny. Ginny really comes into herself later in this series. I like her a lot in it. Yes, because I've been told in the book she's, like, a lot more whatever than she is in the movies, which makes me mad because I would have liked to have seen, like... Oh, yeah. No, I felt bad because, like, I like Bonnie Wright as a person. She was so wooden in those movies, and I think it's just because she wasn't given stuff to work with. But, like, you know, when she... Like, the first time she sees Harry, nailed it. Perfect. The (gasps) big white eyes and then, you know, running away perfect absolutely what she did in the books but then she just never sorry hannah beth i'm kicking things Uh, she never really grew past that but anywho um yeah and then the order had a meeting and it was basically about how to keep harry safe from volby yes i said volby because i didn't feel like saying the whole name but yeah so they're all concerned about how to keep him safe and everything about how lily can no longer protect him obviously and all of that jazz so that's basically what had happened was yeah sirius wanted harry to come stay with him and dumbledore was like no he has to stay at the dursley's house because that's where the protection is sirius was like that's bullshit and dumbledore was basically like "Eh, deal with it it is bullcrap Mm-hmm. It is owl crap since we're being magical. Yeah. Uh, Vidikadivi. You don't know what that is. There's a bajillion videos and it's this voice. And I think it is Falfian's voice. I think they just like sped it up or something or somebody was imitating him or something. But instead of saying Avada Kedavra, he goes, Vidikadivi. <laughs> it's just this ridiculous thing. It's like people picking up random things that are like stick like and then just and like pointing them and then it goes. <laughs> but anyway, um, I actually just. Yeah, posted. it's like I found a meme that was like it was a picture of Harry when he's doing Expecto Patronum. So at one picture on the top, it says me at 12 years old with a random stick. I found me at 26 with a random stick. I found exactly. I'm just exactly. like, it's truth. Yep. 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 But yes, that baby video, I just saw it before we started that. It was so cute. 
Dude, that child put more energy into his spells than most of the cast of the Harry Potter series. <laughs> da, 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 da. Also, that is... Nope, mm -mm, not going to say it because then I have to put something in the baby jar. Oh, I can learn. Anyway. Uh, author's note, reference chasers. Read Order of the Phoenix, chapters 3 through 9. Chapter 116, King of Prats. August 6th, 1995. Days and nights spent at Grimold Place were complicated for Hermione. They were officially at war. Voldemort was back. A secret organization was established to fight him, the headquarters in that very house. And yet, every morning Molly Weasley woke everyone up, fixed breakfast, and assigned chores as though they were back at the burrow and life was normal. It made Hermione feel anxious to see how easily Fred and George still goofed around, pulling pranks on Ron and Ginny. They knew better by now than to try anything with her. Even Ron barely acknowledged the tense feeling in the air that had descended upon them the moment Harry returned from Little Hangleton with Cedric Diggory's body. But Hermione felt it, and she knew she was not the only one. Despite the way he would smile politely at her and ask about her classes at Hogwarts, Hermione knew that Professor Lupin was on edge. She had spent the better part of her third year obsessively watching the man, nursing a crush that, thankfully, had waned a little over the years. She had learnt, though, to read the signs of stress upon his face. Likewise, the young bubbly oar named Tonks, who had befriended Hermione and showed off her skills at a metamorph as a metamorph magus, while telling interesting stories about Remus and Sirius, had a way of losing composure when something was wrong. For instance, when word reached Grimold Place that Mundungus Fletcher had somehow allowed Harry to be attacked by Dementors, Tonks's hair had turned black as night, her eyes shifted to a bright, frighteningly pale shade of grey in a fury. Hermione, Ron, and Ginny had been angry to hear of what happened to their best friend. Mrs. Weasley had been positively outraged. When Dumbledore arrived and began scolding Mundungus over what had happened, he had actually frightened many in the house. But it was Sirius and Professor Lupin's reactions that had Hermione the most intrigued. In the presence of everyone else, the two remained calm and quiet, as though they held no opinion of the situation, which she found very strange indeed. After Dumbledore left and Mrs. Weasley stormed off to bed, Hermione sneaked down to the kitchen for a cup of tea to calm her nerves. Ooh, that sounds so good right now. I'm having a cuppa when I'm done. Damn it, where was I? To calm her nerves when she heard crying from another room. Unable to let her curiosity go, she followed the sounds down a hallway to a slightly cracked door and peered into a room where she could see Professor Lupin sitting calmly in a chair. His fingers were laced together, resting on his chest as he reclined his feet up on his stool. One leg kicked over the other. His usually green eyes were a deep-set gold as they stared across the room where Padfoot had Mundungus Fletcher pinned to the ground. Please, Mundungus begged. Even from where she stood in the hallway, Hermione could smell the stink of booze on the man, not to mention other smells she would rather not identify. Please, he repeated, Dumbledore already, already said. As much as I respect him, Professor Lupin interrupted with an eerie calm. Albus Dumbledore was not present during the birth of Harry Potter. 
He did not hold him when he cried. He did not help teach him how to speak or to walk, despite the fact that Harry is believed to be both target and weapon by many in the wizarding world. That beast currently digging his claws into your chest thinks of Harry as a son, a son that you put in very grave danger. Padfoot bared his teeth and leaned forward, putting more weight on the man's chest. Even from the awkward angle, Hermione could see the terrifying glint in the dog's pale gray gaze as it bore its way through the Mundungus. I'm sorry. I swear it'll never happen again. I swear it. Professor Lupin smiled. Good to know. The full moon is in four days, and I've been told that I'm a bit bigger and much less controlled than Padfoot here. It was then that Hermione realized just how dangerous Sirius and Professor Lupin were, just how far they would go to protect Harry. She knew she should have disapproved of the two of them punishing Mundungus like they had, but she also felt a strange sense of pride growing from within her over their protective instincts and actions against the man who had endangered Harry's life. Besides, who was she to judge them? She had kept Rita Skeeter in a jar for several weeks over the summer. <laughs> this makes me happy. It looks wonderful, Molly, Professor Lupin said in praise at, di at the dinner table, ladling stew into a bowl for Hermione and handing it across the table. She smiled up at him in gratitude, taking the bowl from him. She curiously noticed that he tucked into his own meal, having only served herself and Tonks, who was busy changing her nose into whatever suggestion Ginny gave her. Hermione supposed they were hoping to cheer up Harry, who had arrived earlier that night. He had been furious with them all, but a lot of his wrath was saved for Professor Dumbledore. The headmaster had been purposefully keeping Harry in the dark over many things, a fact that irked Hermione a great deal. She was pleased, however, to see that Harry's presence had cheered up both Professor Lupin and Sirius. "'Can't you get your own food?' Ron whispered. She turned and stared at him, confused. "'What?' "'You haven't noticed, Myony? Lupin fixes up your plate at every meal. You and Tonks. Has done since we got here.' "'It's called being polite, Ronald,' she scowled hiding back the strange way it pleased her to note that Ron was right. Professor Lupin had fixed her plate at every meal, and he knows how I take my tea, she thought to herself, as she remembered her meeting with him in his office during her third year. I don't see him fixing up my plate, Ron grumbled with a pout. Hermione rolled her eyes and did her best to pay attention to the conversation being had between Bill and Professor Lupin about the goblins' hordes and potential involvement in the war. It was difficult, however, when, at the other end of the table, Mundungus was telling some sort of story that had the twins laughing loudly. "'I don't know where you learnt about right and wrong, Mundungus, but you seem to have missed a few crucial lessons,' Mrs. Weasley said, coldly. Fred and George buried their faces into their goblets of butterbeer. George was hiccuping. Mrs. Weasley threw a very nasty look at Sirius before getting to her feet and going to fetch a large rhubarb crumble for pudding. For some reason, the glare cast towards Sirius had Hermione on edge, 
and she listened closely as Sirius whispered to Harry, Molly doesn't approve of Mundungus. How come he's in the order? Harry asked, very quietly. He's useful, Sirius muttered. Knows all the crooks. He would, seeing as he's one himself. But he's also very loyal to Dumbledore, who helped him out of a tight spot once. It pays to have someone like Dung around. He hears things we don't. But Molly thinks inviting him to stay for dinner is going too far. She hasn't forgiven him for slipping off duty when he was supposed to be tailing you. Everyone began digging into their pudding, save for Hermione, who was staring at Sirius in confusion. Hadn't she seen him threaten Mundungus a few nights ago because of what had happened to Harry? She wondered if Sirius was purposely not telling Harry how he felt about the situation so that he would not worry. She did, however, catch a brief look shared between Sirius and Mundungus, where the latter swallowed hard and reached nervously for a flask that he kept in his cloak pocket. "'Nearly time for bed, I think,' Mrs. Weasley yawned, once pudding was through and all the plates had been shifted from the table to the kitchen sink. "'Not just yet, Molly,' Sirius said, turning to look at Harry. "'You know I'm surprised at you.' I thought the first thing you'd do when you got here would be to start asking questions about Voldemort. Next to her, Ron gasped at Voldemort's name. Hermione rolled her eyes at the noise and turned her attention to Harry, who suddenly looked relieved that someone was actually speaking to him about something important. I did, Harry exclaimed indignantly. I asked Ron and Hermione, but they said we're not allowed in the order, so... And they're quite right, Mrs. Weasley interrupted. You're too young! She sat, bolt upright in her chair, her fists clenched upon its arms, every trace of drowsiness gone from her previously tired face. Since when did someone have to be in the Order of the Phoenix to ask questions? Sirius asked. Harry's been trapped in that muggle house for a month. He's got a right to know what's been happening. Sirius never finished his thought as the twins burst into the conversation. Hang on! How come Harry gets his questions answered? Harry's not even of age! It's not my fault you haven't been told what the Order's doing, Sirius said calmly. That's your parents' decision. Harry, on the other hand. It's not down to you to decide what's good for Harry, Mrs. Weasley commanded sharply. Her normally kindly face looked dangerous, and Hermione flinched a little in response. She noticed that Ron and Ginny did as well, likely aware of the anger that their mother's tone implied. You haven't forgotten what Dumbledore said, I suppose. Which bit? Sirius asked politely, but the edges of his tone sounded like they were coated with steel, as though preparing for a fight. Hermione's eyes widened slightly as she recognized that look on his face, that same dangerous glint in those pale gray eyes that she had seen when he had been punishing Mundungus. Her heart thudded. She might have expected it to have been out of fear, but she felt her cheeks warm over as well, and a strange thought occurred to her. Am I attracted? No, that's preposterous. The bit about not telling Harry more than he needs to know, Mrs. Weasley specified, placing a heavy emphasis on the last three words. I hate these so much. Like, why don't you tell him everything? He has a dark 
wizard that is really, really bad coming after him. He needs to know things, and you all are like, no, we're just going to sprinkle some information when he needs to know. It's like, I remember, like... In the movie, when he had his invisibility cloak on, and McGonagall was like, well, he's Harry Potter's godfather. And I was like, and the look on his face was like, what? What? Why would my parents make this dangerous criminal my godfather? And I'm just like, I hate how they do this. It's so annoying. And by the way, Harry has been making his own decisions for a very, very long time. Mm -hmm. So I think he's good. And he also makes Ron and Hermione's decisions, apparently, too, because they follow him everywhere. Uh, yeah, the kid redefines baptized by fire. Yeah, it's just, like, it's so annoying. It's like, these adults are so annoying to me. It's like, I, I just, I can't, I, I have no words. It just frustrates me so much. Mm-hmm. It makes no sense to me whatsoever. Yep, yep. And I think... Honestly, I think that's one of the big lessons that we as the adult Harry Potter generation should get from Harry Potter. Don't underestimate kids. Yeah, because they know more and sense more than you think that they do. And like, it's really frustrating. It's like I heard a story recently. I forget who it was, but they have a kid and I guess they were divorced or something. And they asked the kid if they liked the new boyfriend now and they were like no and they were like why not and then the kid was like saying well I think they're this and this and they were like well what do you know you're just a kid and then eventually the mom was like oh (laughs) yeah I I should have listened to my kid Mm -hmm. and I'm like yeah you kind of should have yep 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 And, and I think Molly's persona really plays into a uh, phrase that has lived in my head rent-free since I heard it. Strict parents make sneaky kids. Yes. You cannot force them to do what you want if they don't want to do it. The only thing you're doing is making it so they don't talk to you about it. Yes, and when you don't, when you make them, like, scared of you, and I, that is when it's really bad, too, because, like, I think I was a little bit in that category, because, like, you know, mine weren't horrible, and I didn't, like, have, like, a lot of, like, strict rules, but there were some things that I was not okay with, like, talking about, because there was this one time where I did something that I really shouldn't have done, but I did it because I didn't want them to be disappointed in me for doing it, and it could have gone so bad, but it didn't, because I had somebody watching out for me that night, but, like, yeah, no, and it's it's like, that doesn't work. You know, with my parents, like, with some things, I had no issue going to them with, like, alcohol. Alcohol was never... A forbidden subject in our house if i said i wonder what gin tastes like my dad would be like here i'll make myself a gin and tonic and you can have a sip and i'd be like oh okay and i take a sip and i'm like that's fucking terrible it's like drinking christmas trees and he was like yeah you know it's probably not your cup of tea right now and so like i never felt the need to go out and party with my friends but You know, there were other things where it was like, okay, this is clearly not something I can talk to them about. And so I didn't not do it. I just didn't 
talk to them about it. <laughs> and I talked to other people my own age who were 16 and 17 and 18. And that is not the people that you want to be getting advice from no, when you were 16, exactly. 17 or 18 year old. <laughs> Yeah, and, like, nobody, and you posted something about this sort of, like, earlier, but, like, nobody talked to me about what goes on in my own body. I had to work, I had to oh, learn that in school or from you. My and God. that was not right. Yes. So, tell your kids things. Oh. Talk to them about my, Okay, so, yes, I just recently shared something about how important it is to teach children what their parts are called and use the proper names, like penis and vagina, because if somebody says, you know so-and-so licked my cookie, uh, okay, that doesn't sound terrible. But when you find out that cookie is what they call a certain part, it's like, oh, God, okay, that is not good. And, um, you know, in child abuse cases, cases have been lost because the child did not have the words to accurately describe where they were touched. And as a result, it caused reasonable doubt and the person got off. So, like, you know, it is very important to teach your children, you know, what their parts are called. But there's also the fact of penis shouldn't be a word that makes people go, they're everywhere. 50% of living things have them. 50% do not. The other 50% have vaginas, which is also not a bad word. Like, let's move past not being able to talk about that i'm not saying teach a child the intricacies of how sex works to create babies but i'm also saying talk about shit if your kid asks questions tell them the truth like and obviously i'm not telling people how to parent but like i think when you make something an area that your child doesn't feel comfortable talking to you about it doesn't mean they're not talking about it. It means they're not talking to you about it. And I will now step off of my soapbox and we will continue this wonderful podcast. <laughs> Amen, sister Fred. But the point is, is don't be like Harry's. Yeah, don't be Molly Weasley. People. Talk to your yeah. fucking kids. Talk to your friends. Don't keep people in the dark just because you are trying to protect them because you're not protecting them. You're just forcing them to go elsewhere. Yeah. And elsewhere is probably Google, and Google is going to tell them that they're dying of a brain tumor. So, like, don't go with Google. Yeah, yeah, don't do not do that. Unless you, like, know a little bit of medical terminology or know somebody who knows medical terminology, do not do that. Mm. Dr. Google is not okay sometimes. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Although uh, Dr. Google did fail me because I looked up uh, detergent allergies because I thought I had given my child a rash all over his body because of my detergent and I felt like a horrible horrible mother and it turns out I still am like I, I I did miss an allergy but it wasn't detergent it was penicillin <laughs> to fix the ear infection that he had after the stomach bug and the upper respiratory infection I'm fucking exhausted and I need my child to have one week of not needing to see a doctor or go to the hospital just one week of no fevers no cutting giant teeth and screaming and no all over body rashes because they're allergic to one of the most common drugs. That would be great. But that is not to be. <sighs> anyway, the dead of time. I don't intend to tell him more than he needs to know, Molly, Sirius said. But as he was the one who saw Voldemort come back, he has more right than most to. But Mrs. Weasley cut him off once more. 
He's not a member of the Order of the Phoenix. He's only fifteen, and... And he's dealt with as much as most in the Order, Sirius said with a growl, and more than some. No one's denying what he's done, Mrs. Weasley yelled, her fists trembling in the arms of her chair. But he's still... He is not a child, Sirius barked impatiently. He's not an adult either, Mrs. Weasley shouted, the color rising in her, her cheeks. He's not James, Sirius. Silence filled the room. While everyone else was staring ahead at Sirius, waiting to see how he would respond, Hermione was watching Professor Lupin, who, for some reason, was looking at her. He looked guilty. Her heart began to beat harder. Why does he look guilty? I am perfectly clear who Harry is. Thanks, Molly, Sirius said coldly. I'm not sure you are, Mrs. Weasley huffed. Sometimes, the way you talk about him, it's as though you think you've got your best friend back. What's wrong with that? Harry snapped. Hermione reached out and took Harry's hand in her own, and gripped it tightly, an attempt to help keep his temper in check, while at the same time offering what support, what support she silently could. She could see Mrs. Weasley's point. The woman was a mother who wanted nothing more than to protect her children, and it was obvious that she considered Harry, and sometimes even Hermione herself, as one of her large brood. Hermione, however, saw the pain that Sirius looked like he was struggling to conceal. She saw the guilt that Professor Lupin was not even trying to hide. She saw the anger and the bitterness in Harry's eyes. What's wrong, Harry, is that you are not your father, however much you might look like him, Mrs. Weasley replied, her eyes still boring into Sirius. You are still at school, and the adults who are responsible for you should not forget it. Mm. And we use responsible very lightly. Mm. Meaning I'm an irresponsible godfather? Sirius asked, his voice rising. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, you are. Yeah. <laughs> Meaning you've been known to act rashly, Sirius, which is why Dumbledore keeps reminding you to stay at home and... We'll leave my instructions from Dumbledore out of this, if you please. Sirius snapped loudly. Personally, Professor Lupin quietly interjected, I think it better that Harry gets the... Not all the facts, Molly, but the general picture from us, rather than a garbled version from others. Well, Mrs. Weasley said, breathing deeply and looking around the table for support that didn't come. I can see I'm going to be overruled. I'll just say this. Dumbledore must have had his reasons for not wanting Harry to know too much, and speaking as someone who's got Harry's best interest at heart. He's not your son, Sirius muttered. He's as good as, Mrs. Weasley shot back fiercely. Who else has he got? He's got me. Still holding Harry's hand, Hermione felt the way her best friend's fingers clamped down on hers. Her heart broke at the longing way Harry stared down the table at his godfather. Sirius, on the other hand, looked enraged. Yes, Mrs. Weasley said, her lip curling. The thing is, it's been rather difficult for you to look after him while you've been locked up in Azkaban, hasn't it? 
putting the phone down for a second. Hands down, the worst thing that Molly Weasley has ever said, and that is including all the bullshit she said about Hermione during the Goblet of Fire, and yeah. Sirius was fucking framed by his best friend, Sirius, who went into the house in Godric's Hollow, went up, got baby Harry out of his dead mother's arms after walking past his dead best friend, practically his brother, giving his motorcycle to Hagrid to get Harry to a safe place, then going after going after Peter to make sure Peter was okay because he thought Peter was hurt. And instead, Peter fucking frames him for multiple murders and gets him thrown in Azkaban for 12 years without a fucking trial. And Molly has the goddamn brass to throw that in his face? Cat <laughs> has both arms in the air like testify. But I have feelings. I see that, but I agree with those feelings. That's just... Mick messed up. Heinous, heinous woman. She has her good points. But fuck if Dead of Time did not open my eyes to how shitty Molly was on occasion. Yeah, but we all have our moments. But yeah, that was not necessary. That was a good burn. Mm Mm-hmm necessary there was a collective gasp around the table as everyone stared at either Sirius or Mrs. Weasley both looked ready to duel Hermione glanced back at Harry who was clearly emotionally torn and she could understand why Mrs. Weasley had been like a mother to him over the years but even Hermione could see where Sirius was coming from after stumbling upon Professor Lupin and Sirius's moment with Mundungus the other night, she could very clearly tell how important Harry was to his godfather. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense, because Molly has that, like, mother instinct thing, and she thinks that she knows what's good for the boy because she has seven kids, but then it's like, Sirius obviously was friends with his dad, so it's like, I know what his wishes were. Yeah, It's like, when you don't have stuff in writing and something happens to you, the person that you said it to, it means absolutely nothing. Even though you know in your heart that's what they would have wanted. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. No, which is why I'm like, Jimmy, we need to come up with a will. Yeah. Like, it, it's it's something you have to do. Yeah, no, and it's, you never know what's going to happen tomorrow. Um, the George O'Malley effect. Yeah, pretty much. It's like you you gotta you gotta do it because it's like you can tell me all day long. I don't want my child to be raised this way and this way, but if you don't have it in writing, I can't do nothing about that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's a dead of time. August tenth, nineteen ninety five. The door to the basement slowly opened, and Hermione shifted from her place on the floor where she had fallen asleep to find herself face to face with Padfoot. She had tried going to sleep that night, but the window in the bedroom she shared with Ginny had a clear view of the full moon. Knowing that Professor Lupin was somewhere in the house below, suffering, caused her heart to ache something fierce. She had silently pulled herself from bed, grabbing a book on her way, and made the short journey down the many steps to the basement where she knew Professor Lupin was being held behind a variety of protective wards. 
She had sat down near the door and listened to the sounds of pacing claws on pavement, loud sniffing, and the occasional bark. She figured that the ward included some sort of sensory block, considering her presence outside the door didn't seem to cause any trouble from within. When the opening door awoke her, she looked over to see Padfoot staring down at her. Hermione blushed. Sirius shifted into his human form and frowned, his brows furrowed. Are you all right, Hermione? I... She tried to think of a lie, but was too tired to come up with anything good. I was worried, she admitted, and glanced behind him at the door. Is he... He's fine. Sleeping. It'll be a few hours, still until sunrise. I thought I'd get a cup of tea and some biscuits. Would... Sirius cleared his throat. Would you like to join me? Hermione stared up into his gray eyes and smiled. He had regained a lot of the weight he'd lost, both in Azkaban and on the run. There was no denying that he was handsome, darkly beautiful, in fact. His aristocratic features reminded her of the Malfoys, but the casual way he held himself was relaxing, comforting, even. Realizing that she had been staring and not answering him, Hermione turned her head down as she felt a blush fall over her cheeks. She shook her head and stood up. Um, no thank you. I just wanted to make sure Professor Lupin was all right, she admitted, and made her way quickly for the stairs. She stopped when Sirius called after her. I'll take care of him. I promise, kitten, he said in a whisper, looking at her as though he were asking for her for something rather than offering. He looked sad, guilty. Perhaps, she wondered, he was asking for forgiveness. But for what, she could not possibly imagine, least of all, why he would want it from her. Do you know what he's asking forgiveness for? I'm assuming it's not for calling her kitten again, since she hates nicknames, so I don't know, actually. No, Shia can, con can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe he's asking Maya, essentially, for forgiveness for not taking care of Remus while he was in Azkaban. The words coming off of his lips, as well as the only slightly less irritating pet name, and the genuine way he had spoken, as though he knew how important it was to her that Professor Lupin be cared for, felt intimate. It stirred something in her once more, and she tried to bury it under, polite, under a polite smile before she rushed away, back up the stairs to her room. I have a question. Yes. So, it kind of seems like, now that she's back to being Hermione, it seems like she understands that she has this weird, like, bond or something towards him that she can't figure out in some ways. Like, she has this, like, instinct to want to, like, stare at him and take care of him. And, like, I know that she thinks that she has a crush, but we obviously know it's a little bit more than that. So, like, I don't know if I'm saying this correctly, but... Or if it'll make sense. But does she kind of have these senses because she also is Maya or was Maya at one point? So she's still feeling things from her other self. I guess it's kind of like how when you're a twin and you feel what your twin feels even though they're not like there, I guess. You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, so with, so going back to book one, she brings Sirius back by invoking a soul bond. She is aware of the soul bond, and she brings him back. Then, when she goes back in time, she knows she has the soul bond. He doesn't, because he 
technically it hasn't been evoked yet because he she hasn't evoked it in 1998 because it's now 1971. But then he, Tilly, is able to see it and Sirius finds out about it from Doria. And at that point, they're both aware of the soul bond so they can both feel it. Now, moving forward, Sirius obviously is aware of it all of that time. But then Maya disappears, Hermione is born. Hermione is raised muggle, doesn't know about soul bonds. At this point in her life, still does not know about soul bonds, but Sirius knows that he has a soul bond with her. So he is aware of the bond, she is not. When Sirius wasn't aware of the bond, and she was, he knew he was attracted to her, but he wasn't sure why, until he found out about the bond, and then it was that much stronger, right? So now, oh, how the turntables... He is aware of the bond, so he feels it really strongly. She is not aware of the bond, so she knows they're connected, but she doesn't know why. And she won't until she brings him back from the dead. Okay, I thought she was just feeling things and didn't know why she was feeling those things. She understands that there's a bond, she just doesn't know what. So I I don't think she understands that yet. Right now, she's interpreting it as a crush, the same way Sirius did before he knew. So she thinks she has a crush on him. And she won't know that it's a soul bond until she evokes it officially in 1998 or 99, 98, 97, 97. Got it. I just didn't know if it like worked differently because technically she's in the same body, but not in the same body. And like, I guess her mind is like obviously different as the two people. So I just didn't know if she like. Their souls are ephemeral ethereal selves are connected but that's like it's her subconscious her subconscious is attracted to his subconscious she just isn't aware of it his has been pulled into the conscious brain hers has not it's still back here oh okay so. sorry this is what an audio podcast of doing a weird dance to try and explain subconscious and conscious my dog is sighing at me because he's like, I want to go to the B-A-T-H-R-O-O-M, which I can't say. Otherwise, he'll start pestering me. Um, Once inside. Once inside, Hermione tried to catch her breath, shocked to feel her heart racing in a way that had nothing to do with sprinting up several flights. Great, she thought to herself. Two professors, Victor Crumb, and now Harry's godfather? Why can't I be attracted to someone my own age? She silently scolded herself, wondering if she should try to be a little nicer to Ron. However, memories of how he acted over the Yule Ball put him at the bottom of the list for potential love interests, as he should be. Yeah, but she still ends up with him anyway. No. Not in this story, but you know what I mean. I should just focus on my studies, she thought quietly, and willed herself to go to sleep where she would absolutely, unquestionably, positively, definitely not have dreams about Sirius Black. Yeah, like you can control that. Absolutely not. Also, Jesus, this is the longest chapter in history. We are barely halfway through. August 31st, 1995. Hermione did not know how to apologize any better than she had already done. It wasn't as if she meant to insult Ron by being shocked that he had received a prefect badge, though she had, in fact, been quite shocked. 
What on earth had he done to become a prefect? Hermione worked so hard for years to get the badge that she coveted so greatly, and somehow, despite his poor grades, his habit of rule-breaking, his attitude in disrespect of staff members, like Professor Snape, Ron was deemed worthy to be a prefect? And her one moment of surprise had, apparently, earned her the cold shoulder and a glare any time she was in the same room as him. Fine, if he wanted to be that way. "'Your brother is a prat,' Hermione mumbled to Ginny, as she walked down the stairs to find her friend with her ear against a closed door. Surprisingly, Ginny did not even jump at the sudden intrusion. "'Which brother? They're all very prattish from time to time. You'll need to be a lot more specific.' "'Well, I suppose considering everything lately, I should say Percy,' Hermione answered with a frown. Seeing the heartbroken looks on Mr. and Mrs. Weasley's face any time their strange son was mentioned was terrible. But in this case, I meant Ron. Oh, he's king of the Prats, didn't you know? Ginny smirked. Earned himself the title when the twins went off to Hogwarts for their first year, leaving only me and Ickle Ronnie behind. But, Mummy, I don't want to be with stupid Ginevra. Ginny mocked her older brother, sobbing. He threw a temper tantrum at King's Cross and tossed my favorite stuffed dragon in front of the Hogwarts Express. Hermione gasped. He did not. Oh, he did. Mum reddened his arse good and proper once we got home. Ginny grinned smugly at the memory. I loved that bloody dragon. Language, Hermione scolded quietly. Ginny, care to tell me why we're whispering? Because I don't want to get caught eavesdropping, of course. Hermione frowned disapprovingly. Ginny, it's not nice to invade someone else's privacy. Sirius and Professor Lupin are giving Harry a sex talk, Ginny defended, as though that were a good enough reason to invade anyone's privacy. Hermione's eyes widened and she rushed to Ginny's side. Butch over, I can't hear anything. Well, you wouldn't. They're trying to teach him how to do a non-verbal contraceptive charm. Don't ask me how they're getting around Harry being able to use magic outside of Hogwarts. Those two are better than Fred and George. Hermione's face felt like it had turned beet red. Whether from embarrassment, shame, or anger, she wasn't exactly sure. A non-verbal contraceptive charm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Speaking of... Jimmy went on. The twins figured out the whole Mooney and Padfoot thing. George has been babbling questions at Lupin and Sirius all day, and I think Fred might have started crying from excitement. Oh, for goodness, Hermione huffed. Firstly, as talented as everyone seems to think Harry is, he's not even close to being able to perform non-verbal spells. And secondly, he's much too young to be thinking about things like... Like... Sex? Ginny teased, stifling a laugh. Contraceptive charms, Hermione corrected, wondering why her cheeks were not cooling down. Says you. I may not be able to do it non-verbally, but I've known the charm for the last six months. Hermione's mouth fell open. Your mother actually... Ginny threw her head back and laughed quietly, covering her mouth so they were not, would not be discovered. Merlin, no. Fred and George taught me when they caught some Ravenclaw bloke taking a fancy to me last year. They apparently locked him in a broom cupboard for two days and then came and taught me the charm, in addition to a few nasty hexes, both as a precaution. 
Their conversation was brought to an immediate halt when they heard voices from the other side of the door. I don't think I'm getting it. You're wasting your time, Sirius, Harry said. Don't get out of shape, son. I taught you how to walk, and I taught you how to talk. I'm sure as hell going to be the one to teach you this. You taught me how to walk and talk? Sure did. Bought you your first broom as well. Only hovered about a foot off the ground, but still. What about my parents? Harry asked. Professor Lupin chimed in. Your mom and dad were always there, but we were around just as much, or, well, when we could be. The war was going on strong when you were born, and your parents were in hiding. That left all the missions up to the rest of us. Really? What kind of missions? Boring stuff, Sirius answered, suspiciously fast. Lots of traveling, nothing of interest happened. Now, hold the wand like this, and then try it. What was my first word? Harry asked. There was a long moment of silence before Sirius said, I'm not really exactly allowed to say. Why not? Because I made a wizard's oath with your dad that I'd keep it a secret. Your mum would have hexed my arse raw if she knew you'd learnt it from me. Just pretend that it was snitch and call it a day, yeah? Oh, it was snitch with a B. Harry, Sirius, and Professor Lupin all laughed. Outside the door, Ginny was silently chuckling, but Hermione was shaking her head in disapproval. <sighs> God damn it. But Hermione was shaking her head in disapproval, despite the warmth she felt at overhearing Harry have such a sweet family moment with his godfather. If you were so close with my parents, how come I never knew about you two before my third year? I had a godfather this whole time, and my aunt and uncle never told me anything. That's because Petunia is an uppity little cunt. Because your mum wasn't exactly close with her sister around the time you were born, Professor Lupin cut Sirius off. She sent her a birth announcement, but I doubt your aunt and uncle cared about any details regarding the rest of the family. Family? Harry asked. Um, yeah, Sirius replied. Me and Mooney. Family. I was practically adopted by your grandparents, you know. Remus as well. Your dad was our brother, and your mum was our sister. When they... Sirius paused. When he spoke again, Hermione could change the, hear the change in his tone. It was softer, solemn. You should have been with me, but I fucked up. I know that now. Still, your folks had explicit wishes. Had I not been around, you were supposed to have been raised by Remus. Then why... Anti-werewolf laws, Professor Lupin answered. The Ministry would have taken you away from me the second they found out. Hermione scowled at the information. Enough with the sad trip down memory lane, Sirius insisted. I'm trying to impart decades of wisdom on the lad. I really think you're wasting your time, Sirius. I've never even kissed a girl. Ginny and Hermione shared a look. Ginny looked strangely surprised by the news, but Hermione was not. Harry was incredibly shy when it came to girls, and she knew it. The only one he'd ever taken a fancy to was Cho, and he had barely had the courage to ask her to the Yule Ball. 
a bit too late, as it turned out. Really? Sirius said with a chuckle. See what happens when you're off saving the world? We all appreciate your sacrifice, Harry. Thanks, Harry muttered sarcastically. How old, um... I was fifteen my first time, Sirius said. Same, Professor Lupin added. Hermione's eyes shot wide open. Sirius, she could believe. But Professor Lupin? Do you know my, um... How old was my dad? Harry nervously asked. Almost eighteen, Sirius said with a chuckle. Don't worry, Harry. You've got plenty of time. I'm just being cautious. We were a little younger than you when our dad, or, well, James's dad, took us aside and taught us the charm. If it makes you feel any better, I was almost seventeen the first time it actually counted. How did it not count before? Didn't love the other girls. I was a stupid, reckless boy that tried burying my issues in witches. Literally. But everything changes when you find the one you really, truly love. Uh, burying my issues in witches. That's a good way to put it. Episode title. <laughs> I, I, I like that. He's right about that. Professor Lupin agreed. Hermione pulled away from the door, suddenly feeling guilty for eavesdropping. She turned to Ginny and shook her head. Well, I still don't approve, but I suppose it's not completely horrendous. Ginny chuckled. That's because you missed all the good parts. Before Harry walked in there, they'd been telling Fred and George about all their adventures at Hogwarts. Adventures? Apparently Sirius was very popular among Ravenclaw House. Hermione grimaced. And Professor Lupin once shagged a girl in the library. Hermione's eyes widened and she gasped. My library? Shh. Uh. You know who they're talking about, right? Yes. Maya, it's you. You had sex in your library. <laughs> Sorry. Shh. Ginny jumped on her, wrapping her arms around Hermione's shoulders in an attempt to cover her mouth. Hermione eventually stopped making noises of horror and shock. Inside her head, however, was another matter entirely. In addition to silently shouting, torrid images of Professor Lupin, shirtless and leaning against the shelves that led into the restricted section, flooded her mind. Her cheeks burned hot, and she fought against Ginny's grip now as an attempt to escape. Girls! Mrs. Weasley called out, appearing at the railing of the first landing on the stairs. What are you doing up so late? Nothing! Hermione and Ginny yelped at the same time. Then get to bed. Lots to do tomorrow, and you need your rest. Back in the other room, Sirius and Remus sat at a small circular table with Harry opposite them. Reliving the good memories of their youth was relaxing, and they had both tried to rein it in a little when they heard the two witches on the other side of the door. The moment that they could both hear Molly direct Hermione and Ginny off to bed, the tension in their shoulders eased quite a bit. So, you have a girl in mind? Sirius asked. Harry blushed and then stared down into the bottom of his empty cup of hot chocolate. Sort of, he admitted quietly. It's complicated. Hermione, Sirius suggested, ignoring the incredulous look that Remus was sending him. 
Yes, Harry. Uh, please don't be interested in your future aunt. Huh? It was something he had been wondering for months now, ever since Rita Skeeter had decided to play story time with his godson and Hermione. Remus insisted that it was all lies, but Harry wanted to hear it from the boy himself. He thought about the day when he would finally need to tell Harry the truth about Hermione and her trip through time. He was dreading it. If Harry was, in fact, in love with Hermione, it would only make things worse, and Sirius wanted to pre prepare himself for it. What? Harry looked up at him, a horrified grimace in his face. Merlin, no, that's disgusting. She's like my sister. Sirius held back the big sigh of relief he wanted to let go of, and simply nodded thoughtfully as he said, Good to know. Calm down, son. So, why is your actual girl complicated? Well, she had a boyfriend, and... Harry frowned. And he died. Sirius and Remus shared a look and sighed before staring down at the table. Remus was the first to speak. That's terrible, Harry. But life has to go on. You can't stop living because others pass away. Trust us on this. We're experts on the subject. Sirius rolled his eyes in response, knowing that Remus was thinking of Sirius's poor coping mechanisms after Maya had disappeared. Thanks, Harry whispered. I'd better head off to bed. Not so fast. Sirius reached out and put a hand on Harry's shoulder to keep him sitting. You think I'm going to just offer you girl advice, teach you a contraceptive charm, and then send you on your way? What kind of godfather do you take me for? An awesome one, Harry suggested. Sirius smirked, feeling just a bit proud at the mischievous glint in Harry's eyes. Nice try, pup. You keep safe this year, and I mean that, he insisted with a fatherly tone of voice, and pay attention in class. I know not every lesson is as fun as the last, but you need every bit of magic that your professors are willing to teach you. And stop asking Hermione to do your homework for you, Remus chimed in. When Harry looked up as though he had been caught with his hand in the chocolate cauldron, Remus added, Yes, I know you've been doing it for years. And stop treating that girl poorly, Sirius demanded, and allowing others to upset her. You say she's like your sister? Then treat her as such. You can't begin to imagine the level of pain I would cause someone if they had made your mum cry. She was my sister. Harry took in the look that Sirius was giving him and seemed to ponder for a long moment before frowning. You're not talking about Malfoy, are you? Remus raised a brow. What do you think would be more painful? To be insulted by an enemy or a friend? Harry sighed in apparent understanding and bowed his head. I'll try to keep a better eye on Ron's temper. The boy won't like it if I'm the one who has to speak to him, Sirius threatened quietly. She's your sister, so that makes her family. Protect our family, Harry. Do you hear me? Family is everything. I understand, Harry nodded, holding his head up a bit higher. I won't let you down. Sirius, <laughs> nice timing, Max. Sirius smiled and pulled the boy into a tight hug. I know you won't. And Aww. see.
That's adorable. Yeah. And you know what else is adorable? Our patrons. Our patrons! We'd like to thank Becky, Tyler Maria, Anthony, Professor Magana Got It Going On, Jade, Tori, Stacy, Sierra, Steph, Shannon, Camille, Leanne, Sandra, Martina, Lynn, Nicole, Kayla, Amara, Claire, Jackie, Jordan, Ryland, Sarah, Amber, Matthias, Kara, Rachel, Sarah, Kenny, Carissa, April, Kaylin, Samantha, Cauldron Mist, another one for the baby jar, oh, damn it, <laughs> rude, Sarah, Ashley Lynn, Crystal, Ryder, Melissa, Cassie, Audrey, Laura, Sylvia, Catherine, Nina, Kendra, Miriam, Dan, Ash, Chris, Crystal, Misha, Becky, Crystal, Shauna, Katie Cat, Catherine, Kay, Jillian, Chelsea, Roshan, Frau Holly, Jamie, Matthew, Tanya, and Jasmine. Thank you again to all of our foxes. We're glad to have you with us. And cheers to the month of April. Thank you so, 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 so much to our foxes. We love you. And we will see you next Fire Whiskey Friday. Whatcha? Thank you for listening to another episode of Fire, Whiskey, and Honey. A special thank you to Shyalani for allowing us to read your story. And thank you to Blue Ivy Creations for creating our logo and Hannah Beth for editing our episodes. You can find us on Instagram at FWHpod. And on Twitter at FWHpodcast. And on our website, FWHpod.com. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to support and get extra content, please support us on Patreon and review us on Apple Podcasts. Thank you to those who support us already. We wouldn't be here without you. See you next Fire Whiskey Friday.